most people that I know, their form of forgiveness is, it's okay, that is lame, that is weak, it is not okay. It's dangerous. It is not the will of God. It is below what God wants. It is, it's a perversion. And when we begin to get the heart of God and seek after heart change and, and deep forgiveness that's transformational to people, then we're living a completely different life. Well, it is good to be here with Effective Heart Change. We're in the Let It Go series, and we've moved into step two, which step two is roughly the handoff to God, the transfer to God. We talked last time about the Jonah response, which is everything from avoidance to self-pity when it doesn't go the way I want it to, to demandingness, to all, all kinds of different things. And today we're transitioning to a new topic, which is it's not okay. It's not okay, huh? That, that's, that's what I said. Hmm. It's not okay with whom? Well, actually, I'm not even talking about with. Ah, it's not okay. Let me just start you in terms of little kids. And I really believe we set people up in terms of normals. Most people respond according to their normals, and they have this thing going on of, okay, I was trained up this way as a child, and now I'm continuing as an adult. How do we deal with little kids whenever there's a fight? Well, we tell them what to do. You know, we, we stop it, and, and we break it up. And, and there may be a speech that follows to uh, try to assure that it doesn't go happen again or go further. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, now make up. Oh, now everything's okay now. Are, are, are we good now? Is everybody okay? Is everybody good with one another? We've done our apologies. Everything is okay. I mean, that's the backdrop. That's kind of the practice. That's how we do forgiveness. That's how we do reconciliation, where you just kind of brush it off, and it's, it's like, all right, we're, we're good now. You said I'm sorry. I'm said I'm sorry. We're, we're all good now. It's all okay now. We hope it's okay. <laughs> we hope it's okay. And that's the backdrop, and then add another backdrop, which is the cultural backdrop of thou shalt not judge. I mean, that is out there. It's a mantra. It's, it's, it's everywhere. And so the idea is I cannot declare anything you do as wrong as being not okay. So somehow forgiveness then gets translated to this place of, I'm just kind of supposed to forgive you and pretend everything is okay and move on. And that's how I do forgiveness. It's all set aside. It's all set aside. It's it, it it just kind of disappears, evaporates. So, so am I imagining it, or does there somewhere in the Bible it says, "Judge not, lest you be judged"? Oh, it does say that. Okay, so where are you going with that? Well, let's just set that one aside for just a moment. <laughs> I'm going to make a judgment about that. <laughs> you, you go ahead. <laughs> You're evading me. <laughs> I am not. I will come back. Okay. okay? It, right. Give me a moment. All right. 
I go to John 7, 24, where he says, don't judge from appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And if you take that verse and you compare it with the Matthew 7, where it says, do not judge, and, and it's very clear, there's a difference there. Judge with righteous judgment. Do not, and I believe the better definition, the better um, illustration of that in Matthew chapter 7 is don't condemn. Do not wholesale condemn. Do not write off people. Do not devalue people. Do not uh, send them into this negative sphere where you have no value and, and the two of you can't recover in relationship. The judgment does cause a problem in meaning. How we judge. The phrase that I'm most comfortable with is using good judgment. And, and that's based on Scripture for me. It's based on Scripture. It's based on experience. It's based on uh, the, the idea that uh, I don't jump to conclusions, that I take some time and, and weigh things out. Uh, where does that, that kind of line up with where, what, what you're talking about? Do not judge by appearance, mm -hmm. but judge with righteous judgment. I talked about in the last one, in order for us to really get into a better place, sometimes we kind of need to know the larger picture. We need to understand, wow, this person was abused. This person had this happen to them or that happened to them. God does not judge us according to what we do. He judges us, Luke 12, 48. He judges us according to what we do with what we've been given. That's a huge leap from specific judgment about your actions and your responses. God takes into account who you are. He takes into account what you have received. Now, God wants us to do righteous judgment, which means we would do judgment in the image of God. I can't just judge you outright. I've got to take some things into consideration. If I'm not doing that, I'm not doing righteous judgment. And he is doing it in, in the person, in his person, which is way above our person. And so uh, it would follow then that there's, there are places that uh, we need to just give up our judgment and turn it over to him. You're getting a little bit ahead of ahead of me here, so let's, so let's kinda, that that's okay. That's kind of where I go. So let's go back and let's go back to the Jonah response. All right. And part of Jonah's struggle was that he was afraid God would forget. <laughs> he was he was sure. <laughs> he was sure God would forgive. Yeah. And because he was sure he would forgive, and the outcome wouldn't be what he wanted then he wasn't willing to hand it over to God. He wasn't willing to go and prophesy to Nineveh. And of course, he ran from God. And then after it happened, he goes into the self-pity fit. That's because we as human beings, we have a picture of the justice of God within us. And we respond according to the image of God. And we have the forgiveness side, which God has also, but we have the judgment side. And in our culture, from little kids 
all the way on up to adults, thou shalt not judge. We've been hammered with one side of that picture, which is don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. And actually, forgiveness starts. The ability to hand it off, the ability to transfer it to God actually starts with judgment. What I have found is if you don't allow people to walk through the judgment phase, again, in a healthy way, and we'll talk about what's healthy versus not healthy. But if you don't allow people to walk through the judgment phase, when it comes over to the letting go phase, they simply can't get there. Or worse yet, they do it in a kind of a trivial manner where they haven't really forgiven. They've convinced themselves that they've forgiven. They've convinced others that they've forgiven. But I'll tell you, it just takes one new incident and it's very clear that they did not forget. We, may, we need to make a judgment, a decision on, on how we're going to deal with whatever that situation is. We, There's kind of a natural order. We have that instinctive part of us, and frankly, let's take that back to God. There's a judgment of sin, and then there's a forgiveness of sin, but there's actually something that comes in between, which is the payment for sin. And if you think about it, all of that is instinctive in the heart of God, and that's how it works. And we're created in the image of God. And so the pathway to being able to forgive actually starts with right judgment. And that's why I titled it, It's Not Okay. Almost all of us feel pressured to go into forgiveness before we're ready to go into forgiveness. I don't know how many times I've worked with people in a case of an adultery or severe stuff with marriage, and invariably to help people make progress to where they need to go, I actually start with this judgment phase. And so if one of the parties has committed adultery, what I do, I go to the other person and I say, this person has committed adultery. They have broken the covenant. Biblically, they have severed the covenant. You are free. You are in a place now of being free to decide what you want to do and where you want to go and how you execute that. Basically, what I'm doing, I'm allowing them to sit in the judgment seat. When you do that, I find that many times that person who has been violated will walk it through, do the judgment, express the emotions, do the anger, go through all of that stuff. And once they've walked through the judgment seat, many times they're able to come to the point of, you know what, I want to try to save my marriage. And it's crazy, but if you cooperate with this judgment piece, I find people are much more able to forgive than if you try to squash it and you say, well, you know, God is a forgiving God. He is a loving God. So you need to just forget this judgment side of you and you need to be able to jump over to this other side and be forgiving. When you push people to skip over this step, it almost never works. That's an interesting picture. Uh, what, what I heard you describe was giving the person power for using good judgment, or for using judgment, and, and how they use it uh, is to be determined. But, but it frees them up to recognize that They've been wronged, and, and they need to make some sort of judgment on how to proceed from there, and, and they choose. And that is vital language, because 
when you have wronged me, I perceive that you've wronged me, and we've already talked about forgiveness, really deep forgiveness is there should be a wrong there. And frankly, let's start there. Good forgiveness starts with the judgment of there really is a wrong here. And what you're giving is affirmation that what you're seeing or what you have seen, uh, you're correct in what you saw and what you experienced. And that allows them to go uh, free of that uh, judge not idea that is kind of rampant in our society. So it starts with that validation that, yes, a wrong has been done. It's not okay. There's affirmation there. There's validation there. Then you take it into the next step. When I have been wronged, instinctive, human character, really even I do believe in the image of God. When I have been wronged, there is a sense that now you owe me. If you wronged me, you owe me. The word for that is actually called justice. Hmm. When I have been wronged, when I have been violated, my sense of justice, is God a God of justice? I think he is. He wouldn't have sent Jesus to die on the cross. He wouldn't have paid the penalty. The next phase, that next part of this that we're talking about, he wouldn't have done that if he wasn't a God of justice. So in the forgiveness process, I'm going through the judgment, first of all, and then I'm beginning to understand, wait a minute, there's an owing here, and that owing is a part of the justice tendency of God. It demands an answer. Justice demands an answer. If, 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 if uh, a partner has wronged you, uh, and, and you, you're coming face to face, a mediator is a good idea because they can, that mediator can open up conversation in, in ways that a couple that one has been wronged by the other aren't going to be able to do. But, but the fact that uh, you confront them with whatever they've done demands that they answer. Justice demands that you answer. And if we're going to continue on a marriage that's been violated, and mm -hmm. so now we're talking a very high, painful wrong. And we're also talking that sense of, wow, you really do owe me. Now, if the one marriage partner that has been wronged brings that kind of attitude into the future marriage, guess what's going to happen? It's going to self-destruct anyway. So we've got to be able to get it walked through the forgiveness process. But when I'm working with a situation like that, one of the things that I try to talk with both parties about, we've got to set up conditions where a real marriage can continue, a genuine marriage can, can actually happen, because if not, it's just a matter of time until the thing self-destructs. So we're trying to set up basic conditions, and the basic conditions do start with, first of all, the judgment of, yes, you did really wrong me, and a validation of that. Then it gets into the justice part of, I'm willing to continue in relationship with you, but there are terms to that relationship. And sometimes the forgiveness process means that the terms have to be I recognize who you are and that this is the way you're going to treat me. And if I'm going to continue in a relationship, 
I have to pretty much be willing to accept that. Sometimes the terms might be, I'm willing to continue in relationship if you are willing to do X, Y, mm -hmm. or Z. And see, forgiveness that's done the right way doesn't demand that I roll over and play dead. Right. There are times when God may require of a person that I need to treat you as if it never happened. God can do that. And if I'm surrendered to God, that may be what forgiveness looks like. But sometimes forgiveness is, I release you. I release you of the covenant. I release you of the debt. I release you of the obligation. But I'm also walking away because, I love this language, I'm not willing to subject myself to this abuse. I'm not willing to, to go wherever. Well, see, right judgment and justice allows me the freedom to go there. Again, huge caveat, under the direction of God. Because I can't do right judgment. Do not judge by appearance, but judge by righteous judgment, especially if I've been wounded, especially if I feel owed. I can't do right judgment until I take that thing and I get it surrendered to God and I'm able to hear the voice of God until I walk through that process. I can't do right judgment and I sure can't do justice. You know what our tendency as a human being is? It's not justice, it's vengeance which means that I'm not going to ask for justice. I'm, I'm flat going to put it over on you, and I'm going to tromp all over your self-worth. I'm going to tromp all over your meaning. And, and, and if you're willing to be subjected to my slavery that I put on you, then I'll continue in relationship. Well, that's, that's not relationship, and that's not the will of God. <laughs> uh, along with that, a good deal of of personal wealth is is exchanged <laughs> and and in, in the long run uh, a lot happens that both people end up bankrupt in one fashion or another uh either spiritually or uh personally or in the matter of of uh, possessions and and to speak nothing of the bitterness that comes with it as I read scripture, it says that the one thing that can end a marriage vow is unfaithfulness. Uh, and the implication has always been sexual unfaithfulness. Is that a misread or is that? The God puts sexuality at such a high level. And I believe he puts it at such a high level because the consequences radiate at such a significant hmm. level. When a man and a woman come together, the two become one. The physical consummation is considered to be a very high, significant act, and it's because it actually does have huge implications. Part of the language that I, I use is that, that early sexual experiences are highly formative. So when a husband and wife come together and and they've actually done it God's way, and they, they haven't been sexually active, there's a level of bonding that starts there. And if I keep that sexual experience there, that level of bonding and that experience and the pleasure and all the stuff that comes out of that being done God's way, it works to strengthen the marriage, and it's mm -hmm. huge. So when I take something that's very precious, that's meant to be intimate, meant to be for one person, 
and I start spreading that abroad, now I'm seeking pleasure somewhere else. You don't matter to me. My covenant doesn't matter to me. And so, yes, because it's held to be sacred almost, and it's held to be at a high level, when I violate that, it is very huge in terms of the pain it creates. And then once it creates that pain, back to the justice, wow, you owe me at a huge level. And my chance of being able to treat you as a human being and validate you and do the kinds of things with you that make for a good marriage just went down radically and drastically. And I believe that's part of why God lays it out and goes, uh, this one's huge. Pay attention to it. Uh, that, that paints a, a picture that I think is dearly lacking in American society today. The, the, the sexuality is, is the top of the, of the list. As I, as I recall, there are three words in the Scripture for, for love. And and uh, lust isn't one of those words. <laughs> yeah, l lust is not one of those. What you're dealing with there as a culture, we have done this false dichotomy where anything that is pleasurable is God right. and anything that is painful is the demonic, and sexuality and sex is pleasurable, so therefore it's good, and how dare you deny me pleasure because God wouldn't want that. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to enjoy life. So being able to freely engage in any sexual experience that I want to is, is okay by God. I mean, that's where our culture has gone. That doesn't agree with what I believe God has put in us, in our instincts, in our nature. We understand the idea of covenant. We understand the idea of special relationship. We understand the idea of loyalty. And so if I've, I've made that covenant with you, and if I've come into a higher loyalty with you, then when that is violated, it creates a higher level of pain. And in the language of this segment, it's not okay. No matter how much we try to brush it off and go, no, 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 sexuality is nothing. It's, it's just this common experience, and, and you can move here, there, and everywhere and do whatever you want to do, and, and, and you won't even feel the difference. And one of the interesting uh, accompaniments of that is what I do with someone else is just our business. It doesn't hurt anyone else. And that mentality is there. If God didn't create us the way he did, that might be true. But, and for what he created us. But I believe God has a purpose for us, and everything we do impacts everyone else and impacts God, and, and God's created us all to be one and to work together in this thing towards common goals, so it does matter. Well, we've really dove in on this one. <laughs> we've uh, gone deep right away. Let's take a moment to review where we've been, and then we will continue. Well, we're talking today about it's not okay. And every tendency of the culture, every pressure of the culture is forgive and forget. Uh, you can't hold grudges. If you forgive, it's got to be as if it never happened. None of that works with who we are. 
how we're created. It's, it's like totally against every part of our design. And we expect to be able to do forgiveness when we're working completely against our design. That just doesn't work. And completely against God's design. To me, those are one and the same. Well, but it's worth, worth saying because I think that that, attitude's, that attitude comes from that's what we believe about God, is that when he forgives us, it's, it's, it's done. I mean, there, there's no, no ramification, you know. And that's why I come back to heart change. You have the people who are, well, God just forgives, and I'm forgiven, so it doesn't really matter. I'll just keep doing the same stupid thing over and over and over again, and God will keep forgiving me, and I'll get to heaven, and nobody will care. Yes, people care, because every time you do that foolish thing, you're dumping negative stuff on the person next to you. And does that matter to God? And my answer is, yes, it does matter to God. God doesn't want you to go through this meaningless, wimpy forgiveness that continues to do the same thing over and over again. That's why judgment is important. That's why justice and my responses in the process are important, because in the end, the will of God, I believe, is to get heart changed. And what's heart change? Heart change is where all of us are growing up into the image of God. All of us are going up into the character of God. So I should be doing forgiveness in a way that I grow, first of all, and think about what we've done so far. So far, if you've listened to the first several segments, of, you, know, uh, you might be mad at me. <laughs> You're going, wait a minute. I came in here to figure out how to forgive, and everything you've talked about is about self-examination. How is that forgiveness? Well, the number one person that needs to grow, if I'm going to be able to forgive, is me. Because I have no power over you, and I don't want to be slave to you. So the first part of forgiveness is for me to deal with me so that I grow up so that I can actually deal with life situations. We have a propensity towards justification. Uh, I can justify most everything I do, and, and that goes with the idea that uh, we have that when God forgives us, it's just, it's a done deal, nothing. And that's in Scripture, Psalm 103. It's separated as far as the east is from the west, and you have the concept in the Pentateuch about there is no double jeopardy, which is a, it's a thing that was brought into our laws and our culture here. So yes, once it's forgiven, God doesn't bring it up again. But forgiveness does not equal heart change. It does not equal growth. It does not equal transformation. So, so there's another step or so. Oh, there's a lot more step. <laughs> and the will of God is not just the restoration of relationship. Back to the marriage, I can restore relationship over and over again, and you can keep going out and do stupid stuff over and over and over again. I don't have a marriage at that point. I have a broken mess of not ending the relationship. So, so I commit a sin, and, and uh, I'm uh, convicted of that, and I ask forgiveness for that. Uh, then I go out, and five days later, five years later, I do the same thing over again. Uh, is that automatically forgiven from the, from the first time? Answer is no. 
well, but every but, new but what I was hearing sounded like once it was once. My understanding is when Jesus died, he died for all sin, all time, and so sin has been taken care of. But uh, when we violate God's principles, God's will, that is sin. We've stepped away from what's what's available, and and so uh, we need to confess. Uh, as as much as we know, and, and uh, but it's it's an ongoing thing. The the repentance and reforgiveness would be a better terminology for my understanding, anyway. If you take what you just said and you take it to a perverse level, all sin has been forgiven for all time. Then. Everybody's going to be saved. Everybody's going to be redeemed. There is no reason for anybody to even repent because Jesus died. Mm -hmm. He legally covered it. All sin is forgiven for all time. There's no response required on our part. That's a perversion of what the Scripture says. In order for us to come into that place of forgiveness, we have to come under Christ's authority. Mm -hmm. We have to hand it off. We have to accept Jesus' death, and accepting Jesus' death means that we start actually letting him be Lord, and we start taking steps. And the practical phrase that I use all the time is, are you willing? We want forgiveness without being willing to change. Why would I ask you for forgiveness if I'm just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again? And, and let me pause. There's a reason for that. It's called bondage. Mm -hmm. There's times when I really don't mean to do it. I don't have the strength to overcome it. And because I don't have the strength to overcome it, I need to cry out to God. I need to connect with people. I need to make the appropriate changes so that I won't keep doing it over and over again. That's a whole different discussion. That's an overcoming discussion. That's a process discussion. But if I'm asking forgiveness with the intention of, but I'm not changing I'm going to keep doing it. How in the world is that me asking for forgiveness? That's a perversion of the gospel. That's not asking forgiveness is exactly right. I wasn't trying to intimate that 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 it, I'm covered for eternity just by Jesus' act. He did what he had to do and needed to do for our benefit, but we have to do we have to respond to that on an ongoing basis. It isn't one time for all. It's, it's day by day, moment by moment type of thing. And I will tell you, I knew that you knew that. Yeah. And I knew that you didn't mean that. But the reason I jumped on it is because there are many people out there who don't understand that and who actually do take it the way And that, want to believe that. Yeah. Because they, that's, that makes it pretty easy. It makes it easy because then I can just sin and keep on sinning, and it's not about heart change. Forgiveness done the right way should be about heart change. It should be about me changing my behavior and being willing. Let's, let's go back to the marriage situation. If I'm dealing with that, and I've, I've talked with the one, and the one says, yes, I want to see the marriage restored, my next step is to come back to that other person and start talking about accountability and steps mm -hmm. of change. And, what are you willing what to you do? do? Because if you're not willing to do these things, you are going to do this same behavior again. 
And if, if you're not willing to make appropriate changes, I'm not willing, and I believe this is good judgment, I'm not willing to come back to that other person and say, I recommend that you stay in the marriage. Why would I go there if you're not willing to make needed changes for heart change? Now, you do have the other end of the spectrum, which is spiritual bondage. There are times when people really don't want to do it. This is Romans chapter 7. They don't want to do it and they keep doing it. Okay, then let's up the ante. Let's, let's, let's bring in more accountability. Let's bring in the kind of help that you need. Are you willing to take these steps? So I'm not talking about the person who legitimately wants to get there but is under bondage. And so you and I or whoever, we've all got to come around that person and help them in a way for them to get better. That needs to happen. And a lot of times the church doesn't do that and the person is left helpless. So then what did they do? The only fallback is, well, God just loves me. He forgives me. My sin is as far as the east from the west, and so I can keep doing what I've been doing. No, that is wrong. And your description there uh, led me to the, the picture of I'm in a marriage with God. I'm, I'm, I'm married to God. I've, I've, I've accepted his love and acceptance, and, and in that process, I've made a vow to him to be honest and to be true and to uh, upright in our relationship. And when I uh, wander off, which we all do, uh, it, he deserves uh, my confession of sin, which is my statement of, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And, and that's, that's a, a, a walk. I like that, that picture because a marriage is a walk, too. You're, you've chosen to walk with someone, to, to, to give your life to them, and, and, and it's, it's difficult. Uh, but we have that same relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you're so right on. That covenant with God, I mean, marriage is one of the best pictures, should be one of the best pictures that we have, of our covenant with God and coming into mutual relationship that hopefully benefits one another. You can kind of think, well, how can I benefit God? We bring him glory. We serve him. We, we make our life about the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33. And you bring him joy. When, when we, when we uh, follow in, in the path that he's laid out for us, I'm, I, I think it, God takes delight in that because He's, we're, we're becoming who he designed us to be. Uh, that, to me, is that's great, a, a great feeling. When that breaks down, we have this sense of, I'm violated. I have a sense of justice. I have a sense that you owe me. Let's go back to Jonah for a little bit. And I mentioned this in the last program, where I talked about if Jonah could have fast-forwarded and seen mm -hmm. the judgment of God the future judgment of God, I think he would have felt a little better about things. But we don't see the big picture. So there's a time period in there where we have to wander around a little bit blind. We have to wander in the place of trusting God. And what have we talked about over and over again so far in this series? One of the big reasons we're not able to forgive is we don't trust God. We don't believe in God. We don't see him as God. We don't see him in this particular section 
as being a judging God, an intervening God, so then I have to take justice into my own hands. And that's what's huge. So this, this is where when I'm, if I'm going to forgive, if I understand the judging side of God, and I know you're not getting off free, and I know that spiritual law works and the law of sowing and reaping works, if you've done something that is vi- a violation, that is sick, that is wrong, I'm not back here going, well, you owe me, and I've got to hang on to that. And if I don't hang on to that, nothing's going to happen. I understand all of this other stuff. It's going to be a lot easier, which is the next program, but it's going to be a lot easier for us to hand that thing off to God. But I've got to work with my justice part. I've got to understand that there is a God in heaven who will take vengeance. There is a God in heaven who will judge. And if I'm only understanding and only believing as far as the East is from the West, forgiveness removes your sin and takes it away. And I say, if that's all I see about God, how can I satisfy the judgment part of my personality? How can I satisfy the justice part of my personality? And to start towards forgiveness, one of the most powerful steps is for me to be able to clearly declare it's not okay you wronged me. And sometimes it's needful for us to express that actually to the other person in clear terms. Uh-huh. You wronged me and this is how you wronged me. But it absolutely needs to be expressed before God without this sense of shame, without this sense of guilt. I've got to be able to go to God and say, this person wronged me. Life stinks because of it. I hurt because of it. This is not right. It's okay for us to have that kind of a rant, if you will, before God, because he already knows it anyway. But there's a purging, there's a cleansing when we do that kind of judgment. I think that's a, that's a great point because oftentimes uh, we go through that mental exercise. You wronged me. Uh, that's, that, that wasn't right. And, but it's only going on up here. You're saying it to yourself. And, and uh, I've found in my life that uh, speaking... Uh, what you are thinking is very important that it actually makes it real uh, because it, what goes on in your head goes on in your head and 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 we hide behind that or we try to satisfy ourselves with with our thinking but sometimes it just has to be said and then there's ownership uh there's ownership that that's what i'm thinking and if I'm, I'm speaking to someone and, and saying, you hurt me with this, and then it's, it's out there. And what they do with it is their choice. But, but I've owned it, and, and I'm sharing it. And, and that step is so often overlooked in relationship. It's not even overlooked. It's looked down on. It's belittled. It's considered not to be Christian forgiveness when it is Christian forgiveness. You wonder why we have a hard time forgiving. We're not doing it the biblical way. And when we don't cooperate with who God created us to be and that that biblical design, and we don't walk it through that way, then we kind of scratch our heads and we're like, why am I having a hard time forgiving? Well, because you're not forgiving the way God designed. And that I hear I, I said telling, but asking is part of it too. You're, 
you're telling someone, but you're you're <laughs> it is is forcing. Nah, that's not a good word. It's it's demanding some sort of reply, asking. That's what I'm trying to get to. I'm actually going to, again, short circuit a that's, little bit. That's fine. I, I like where you're at and you're going, but let's go to the justice piece now. And what's important with the justice piece is the I am willing, I am not willing. Let's go back to the marriage situation where you have one partner who wants to restore. And that partner can say, hey, I want to restore, I am willing to restore, but I'm going to suggest that there's conditions. I'm going to restore if I see you willing to restore. I'm not willing to restore if you're going to go out and continue to have these relationships with other people. So there's a very clear, I am willing, I'm not willing. And we're still not in the asking part. We're still kind of in the telling part where I'm, I'm first of all, I'm coming to a clear sense of judgment. I've judged myself, first of all. I've judged myself to, to say, am I just being petty here? Am I just being a jerk here? Is this something I need to let go of? And, and hopefully you come to the answer of, no, this really does raise to the higher level. So I, at the very least, then I'm going to need to take that judgment to God or that judgment to you. Then step two, which is the justice part, then I've got to begin to decide on what basis am I willing to continue in relationship? Am I willing to continue in relationship in a way that I'm going to keep getting hurt and keep getting beat up? And let me go back to Jesus's words, the 70 times seven, forgiveness. There's times when God actually says, I want you to do that. I want you to lay down your life. I want you to, to take these blows over and over again. Jesus took quite a few of them, by the way. And there's times when God actually calls us to do that. But there's other times when the most powerful thing you can do in someone's life is stand up and say, I'm not willing to do that. If you're not willing to respond in this way, I'm not willing to respond in, in the way that you want me to. Many times, that's the wake-up call they need to get heart change. The, this, this part of the discussion uh, reminds me of, of letting go. And, and when, I, when I speak my hurt, my pain, to the person that, that has hurt me, uh, I've, I've let that out. Uh, and, and basically what I've done at that point is turn it over to God. Because now I've... I've done away with the part that is hurting me, that I'm responsible for, and it's God that's asking for an answer one way or the other, which is what you described so well. So if you completely neuter the power of the individual, and then we're like, you're having a hard time forgiving? What you said a little bit earlier, which was so powerful, it's a power situation. Yes, you hurt me. I now feel like you owe me. Power is a part of that whole paradigm. It's part of, part of what's going on. So then I need to be free to walk into a place of I am willing, I'm not willing. I just got my power restored. I just got my dignity restored. Now, because I have a covenant with Christ, I also need to be willing to surrender that to God. And if God says, I want you to walk through that, well, I'm not willing to violate God, and my covenant with God is greater than my covenant with you. So if God asks me to do this, I will do this regardless of how I think you're going to respond, 
and regardless of if you even enter into something with me, because my covenant with God is greater. And all of this, again, it's, it's sounds complex, but it's not that complex. You empower the individual to actually forgive. If you take away their ability to forgive, how can you expect them to forgive? They're powerless. They have nothing. And interestingly, uh, both people are benefited by that. Uh, and, and, and it's just, it's a good picture. You've painted a, a, a really complete picture of possibility. Now, where people go with possibility, that's a, that's a moment-by-moment moment thing. But, but when, when, we're, when we are committed, I almost said fully committed, and I don't know <laughs> that that... A, I'm, I'm not myself been fully committed in anything I've done in my life. We, I think. we think we are. We, th- we think we are. But anyway, the possibility is there for everyone to benefit, even from the hardest conversation. So I enter into this interactive model. Now, sometimes it becomes more unilateral. I've heard from God. God says, forgive. I'm choosing my covenant with God over any other thing, and so I just forgive you. And God says, no, I want you to continue to interact. And say, all right, said, done. His covenant wins. I I go there. But in most cases, if it's a human-to-human interaction, we've gone through the judgment phase. We've looked at the justice phase, and we've done some interaction there. Now I'm finally ready to come to a decision not on whether or not to forgive, because if I don't forgive, if I don't let it go, I become your slave. I'm, I'm totally in your bondage, but I get choices at that point on how my future relationship with you will go. I get to choose my inner circle. I get to choose this group of people I'm going to be open with. I'm going to trust. I'm going to interact with a higher level. I get to choose in Jesus' world the 12. I get to choose the 70. I get to choose the multitude to some extent because I get to choose where I'm going to put my time, where I'm going to invest. Your trust. My trust. If you're not willing to respond to the judgment, if you're not willing to respond to the justice, then again, I'm empowered to make a choice of you just got moved out of the inner circle. And of course, in a husband-wife situation, that hopefully should be powerful motivation. But you just got moved out of the inner circle. Oh, you got moved out of the 12. Well, you're, you're going beyond the 70 to the multitude, or you're as an enemy to me, if you will. And so I still have to love my enemies. That doesn't mean I change my heart. But it may change the amount of time, effort, energy that I am. Are you ready for it? I am willing to invest in you. There's a word for you, invest. What are you willing to invest in? We're, as a, as a society in America, we're interested in our investments, but it's monetary stuff and it's, it's, it's stuff, stuff. And again, working with addicts, working with difficult people, difficult situations, the I am willing is huge. I am not willing to sit there and work with stony ground in a way that has no hope of getting better. If I've got people who really want it, who are, who are really plugging in, I'm going to plug in where it's fruitful. And that doesn't mean I write you off forever. Your heart may be hard today. And if I see that your heart is hard today, again, God may still say, nope, so there. All right, God, I'm hearing. 
also there, looks hopeless, no problem, I'm willing. But all things being equal in a natural world, if you're not willing, I'm not willing. And that's okay in Christianity. Jesus sowed, I believe, where there was potential fruit. Not being willing isn't the same as uh, not being open. You can, you, can, you can be open to possibility uh, and not pursue it. And, and that's all right. And I'm going to take it one step farther. Not just open, but able. There are many, many, many people who want to go there mm -hmm. who are not able. I've Good spent point. the last 15 years of my life in addiction and recovery saying that, you know what, I believe a whole lot more of these people actually want to get clean. They want to get sober, but they're not being given the tools that they need. They're not walking in a place where the authority is there, the love is there, the forgiveness is there in the biblical way that I just described, not the, oh, it's okay, but where the forgiveness is there. And so they're not drinking in the life that they need. If you're not drinking in strength from God, if you're not drinking in strength from godly people around you, you're not going to be able to overcome, and you're going to continue to do the same foolish thing over and over again. So I'm not talking, again, good judgment, right judgment. I'm not talking about writing off people who aren't able. I'm talking about if it's a person who really wants to and they're not able, man, I want to lay my life down for that person. I don't care how many times they tromp on me. If I see that willingness, but they're lacking the ability, I want to do everything I can to pour life into them and help make them able heart change. See, this is where forgiveness really gets exciting and it's working within the heart of God, and it's no longer about what you did to me. It's, I throw all of that away. I mean, that is gone. It's about, I see some good soil in you. Okay, hurt me again. I don't care, because I see good soil in you, and I think that maybe next time we'll get that breakthrough, and you'll be able to live a better life because of it. See, that's heart change in God's image. That's forgiveness in God's image. And that's Jesus. And that's Jesus. It's a whole different way. Most people that I know, their form of forgiveness is, it's okay. That is lame. That is weak. It is not okay. It's dangerous. It is not the will of God. It is below what God wants. It is, it's a perversion. And when we begin to get the heart of God and seek after heart change and, and deep forgiveness that's transformational to people, then we're living a completely different life. Get God's kind of forgiveness. It'll change you, and it'll change the people around you. It'll make every one of us so much better, so much stronger. Get a hold of it. Thank you for joining us. Video production, editing, and audio by Matthew. Set design and setup by Ashley. Content recorded live at Studio 104.